0: Thanks for listening to this message from The Block KC. The Block KC exists to help young adults build their lives on what counts. We believe that is Jesus and what God has revealed in His Word. We'd love to see you next Thursday, 7 p.m. at Lenexa Baptist Church. Now, let's listen to this week's message. Kansas City, how are we doing tonight? Hey, y'all doing well? It is November. Don't blame Grant for not knowing what month it is. He and his wife actually won a vacation to the American Virgin Islands and they just got back. So they're on island time right now. So uh, he gets the right to be a little jet lagged. Congratulate him. That's actually a really big deal. Later. Well, okay, or now. Yeah. Good job, Grant. He's a hard worker. Hey, we're glad that you're here with us tonight. We're gonna to be finishing up our series, practically speaking. If you haven't been with us, uh, we have been going through the book of James, which was written by the half-brother of Jesus himself, and James is taking us through a lot of different practical applications for how do we live our life through faith in Christ. And we've looked at a lot of things as we've gone, we've talked about how to have faith through life's difficulties, we've talked about what does faith in action look like, We've talked about how our our tongue and our speech uh, discerns where we go in life. It decides the course of our life. We've talked about how we need to draw away from the world and draw near to God. We've talked about the urgency of eternity and how we don't know what our last moment is so that we need to live for God. So if you haven't heard any of these messages, if you're just joining, we're glad you're here. You can check those out on Spotify. But tonight we're going to be wrapping up the book of James in 5-7. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, the verses are going to be up on the screen. If you want to get a Bible later, stop by the Connect Center. We'd love to get you one. So as we close out the book of James, I want to share with you guys some wisdom from my high school football coach, which is always a great way to start off anything. So I want you guys to imagine with me. It's August. It's really warm. Uh, It's just where, so we have just gotten done with our first practice of the season. We're on the turf. It's hot. It's sweaty. Everyone's tired. Everyone's ready to go home, but we are fired up because our coach is getting ready to unveil The new motto for that year of football. He's getting ready to tell us, hey, what's our war cry going to be? What's the thing that we're going to shout at each other and hit our heads together in the locker room? Like, what is that thing that we're going to yell at each other for the next 13 weeks of the season? And coach comes out, and the assistant coach is walking behind him with the shirt, and we start getting hyped, right? We're like, we're feeling the energy. We're getting excited. And he holds up the the shirt, and he says, all right, coach, show him. And he goes, hold the rope. And we just started losing our minds. We're like, "Yeah, hold the rope, hold the rope, hold the rope." And coach starts going, "Hey, quiet down, quiet down. I'm gonna tell you guys what it means." And we're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us, coach. Tell us what it means." And he's like, "All oh, right, right, right. Okay, this half of the team get on my left. This half of the team get on my right." And he goes, "You guys are hanging off a cliff, holding onto a rope." What? We're, wait, what? And he's like, uh, and, and this half, you guys are holding onto the same rope. There's another cliff. You guys are hanging off of that cliff on this rope. And now we're just, what's happening? Hang on. Like, how did we get in this situation? There's a rope and two cliffs, and all the team is hanging off of them, holding onto this rope. And he's just, like, holding up the shirt, going, hold the rope, hold the rope. And we're like, man, this is turning into, like, a complex physics problem. We're just a bunch of football players, like what's going on here? And he's like, you guys got to hold the rope. And he says, you don't let go. If you let go, you die. And the other team dies. We're like, yeah, what does that mean? (laughs) Like, what are we supposed to do? And we're confused by this point. He's actually a great coach for the record. He, the next two years, he took our team to playoffs, multiple winning games in the playoffs. But the lesson that he was trying to get us to see was that we needed to persevere. He's trying to show us this season is going to be tough. We were a new program. So we were going to be facing teams that were bigger than us. We're going to be facing teams that were older than us. We're going to be facing teams that were more experienced than us. And we needed to stand strong. But what he didn't do was tell us what that actually meant. He just kept yelling at us, Hold the rope! Hold the rope! Hold the rope! And we're like, yeah, coach, but what do we do? What does that mean? And tonight... We're going to learn that we need to persevere. God's word says we need to persevere. And in fact, you do not have to be a follower of Jesus to recognize life is tough. To recognize that there's going to be challenges. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be pain. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, we get this mentality, all right, like I know I need to persevere. Like I know I need to hold on. I know I need to stick it out. But we have no idea what that actually looks like. And so what happens? We end up kind of white-knuckling our way through life, trying to figure out, yeah, I'm just going to hold the rope. I'm just going to hold on as, as, as tight as I can. But ultimately, we end up slipping and letting go because we don't actually know what does it mean to persevere. Thankfully, God's Word is very clear on what it means to stand firm in the face of trials, to stand firm in the face of life's difficulties. And this last 13 verses of James, they're going to be full of commands that let us know how to persevere. And so if you're taking notes, tonight's big idea, we're just calling it practical perseverance. And our hope is that looking at God's word, we would all understand part of what it looks like. One, to stick it out through the challenges of life. But specifically, what does it mean to follow Jesus in the hard times? And how will we overcome life's challenges through the strength, not from us, but that God can provide for us through faith in Jesus Christ? And again, this is important because we know the challenges are going to come. Right? You guys have had the stressful days at work. Maybe that's how you come in here today. You feel crunched, you're on a deadline, and you have no idea how you're going to get through the next couple of weeks. Maybe the holidays are going to be stressful for you when there's family conflict or there's drama amongst relationships and friends. Maybe finances are tight right now. And God says, I've not only got a plan for you to persevere, but I'm going to tell you how you can do it through my strength. So that's our hope is that we would find confidence tonight and we'd find clarity through what does it mean to practically persevere. With that said, let's pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we need your word tonight. God, let this uh, sink into our hearts, God, not from... um, anything that we have to say, God, or any uh, human wisdom, but God, let it be clear that this wisdom comes down from you and you alone. God, let nothing that I say stick with people, but let it all be your word, your truth, what you have to say on the matter. And God, if there's people who are going through hard times in life right now, God, I pray that you would give them hope through tonight. God, that you would show them what it means to persevere. And, God, that if there's someone who's tired and they've been holding on and doing their best and it just doesn't feel like it's good enough, God, would you also give them comfort knowing that they don't need to white-knuckle it, that they can stand strong because you have said so, and you will give them the grace to do so. God, so we look forward to tonight. God, give us the ability to hear this and receive this and learn from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, so for context of what's just happened, James has just gotten done talking about the urgency of eternity. He said eternity is coming soon. And you need to be ready. Your life is a mist. And we don't know how short life is. And in one day, there's going to be coming judgment. And there's going to be coming eternal life. And we need to be ready for that. So in verse 7, he's picking up from that thought. And he says this, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming... See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. James starts off saying, hey, you want to hold on? You want to hold the rope? You want to persevere? The first key to perseverance is patience. Point number one tonight, practical perseverance requires active patience. Practical perseverance requires active patience. Look back at, at what James says. You have to be patient, but not forever, right? You, you don't have to be patient forever. It's only until Jesus comes back. And if you're not very familiar with the Bible, uh, you're like, man, uh, Jesus is coming back. I, I didn't know that. I, I, this is news. You might have heard uh, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You might have heard that phrase used often. You might have heard that he was resurrected from the dead. You might have even heard that he ascended. But what's not often talked about is the fact that he is going to come again one day. Physically return to this earth. And we don't know when that day is. But the Bible is very clear that Jesus is coming back. The interesting thing is that it doesn't get talked about a lot. We don't often discuss this truth. Even amongst believers, it's not often talked about. Which is crazy. It's wild that we don't emphasize this. Because listen to this. The Bible mentions or refers to Jesus' second coming 1,845 times. 44 or 40 of the 66 books of the Bible talk about Jesus' second coming. Seven out of 10 chapters in the New Testament refer to the return of Christ. And so God is saying, Hey, you got to pay attention to this. Hey, this is important. We don't want to miss this. Jesus Christ will physically return to rule this earth as the king of kings one day. And it means, man, we got to know what that means for us. If Jesus is going to be coming back, we've got to be ready for what that means. And I'm not going to try to guess what that is. That's, I think, where a lot of people go astray. They start talking about, hey, this is exactly when Christ is going to come back. If anyone ever says that to you, you know that that's not when he's coming back. Because the Bible actually says no one knows the hour. So if someone says it's going to happen on December 1st, Guess what? It's not going to happen on December 1st, so you can at least be sure of that. And tonight we're also not going to get into any kind of series of events or signs of his return or apocalyptic prophecy. Uh, I think those things have some value, but really they can be kind of confusing. And so right now what we're going to do is we're just going to focus on this truth right here that we all need to get. One day soon, Jesus Christ is going to appear in the sky with angels and light and thunder And every single person on earth in that moment will see that Jesus is exactly who the Bible says he is. And they will see that he is the Lord of the universe, that he is the King of kings, and that he is God. And all believers will be caught up with him in the air. I don't know exactly what that will look like. But it says we will join him in the air as he establishes his kingdom here on earth and rules as the king of the world. And sometimes we, we're like, okay, I have no idea what that looks like. Like, am I going to be floating? What happens if I'm inside? Like, how's that going to happen? Am I going to have to go outside and see? it? That's beside the point. We're not trying to figure out exactly what that looks like. It's tough for me. I'm a very visual person. But, but we're not trying to paint a picture for ourselves. We're trying to understand what do I need to be prepared for? How does this help me persevere? And can kind I of tell you guys this? All of the confusing parts about it and all of the logistics of how he's going to return and what that's going to look like and everything that's going to happen. Let me just tell you this. When we see Jesus face to face, when we see the one who died on the cross for our sins, when we see God Himself in person with our own physical eyes, Nothing else is going to matter. Man, the moment that we get to see our best friend, our Savior, and our God with our physical eyes, everything on earth will pale in comparison. And if you have not known Jesus and you're like, man, I don't have a relationship with him, your mind is going to be blown. And the Bible says that you will recognize even if you don't want to, that Jesus is Lord. That's how amazing he is. That's how full of glory he is. He's that powerful and that strong. And suddenly the sickness and and the death and the job troubles and financial insecurity and relationship drama, loneliness, all of this will pale in comparison to seeing Jesus in his glory. And that's not to belittle those things, right? That's not to say that those things are not a big deal because they are. But instead of saying that those things are small, that should show us Jesus is huge. Jesus is massive. He's so much more important than anything that can happen on life. And James says something very direct here. You want to to persevere? You want to stand strong? Focus on Jesus' return. Just wait. He's coming back. Keep being obedient. He says, look at the farmer. See how patient he is. He waits for the rain in spring and autumn. He waits for the harvest to come. He doesn't know when it is. It may uh, come a little bit later than he would like. But it is coming. And it is going to happen. And so he says, be patient. Stand firm. Literally says, strengthen your heart is what stand firm means. Take courage in your heart by focusing on the truth that Jesus is coming back for you one day. And you'll get to see him face to face. And now I tell you guys this, nothing has probably given me a perspective of this kind of waiting uh, in my life besides being engaged, right? Like Jesus describes dozens of times uh, himself through the Bible as a bridegroom and the church, the people of God are described as his bride. And he's coming back for his bride for that's called the wedding of the lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God. And he describes heaven as this wedding feast and it's this time of celebration and joy and excitement. And so... My wife and I say this all the time. It's going to sound really bad. Engagement was awful, right? It was just really bad. Singleness was fun. Dating was incredible. Marriage is amazing. Engagement wasn't cool. It just wasn't. And it, it, it sounds bad. And here's what I mean by this. When we say this, were we saying that we didn't enjoy wedding planning? No, we loved it. It was stressful. It was hard, but it was fun. Did we not enjoy premarital counseling? No, we love that. We love getting to know each other. Did we not go on fun dates and did we not do fun things throughout the time we were engaged? No, it was awesome. But when we looked ahead to what we knew what was coming, everything paled in comparison. We thought, man, we're going to be married one day. And being engaged is just not as good. It's just not as cool to what we know is coming next. Because that's what we were meant for. We weren't meant to be engaged forever. We were meant to be married. And so God's word is saying here, everything on earth, from the hardest challenge to the most beautiful gift, even marriage, says all of that pales in comparison to what's coming one day. Can you imagine that? Sometimes we look at this earth and we think, man, it's so great. There's so much here for me. And God's saying, no, 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 no. If you just knew what was coming if you just knew what I've prepared for you, if you just knew how mind-blowing it was going to be, you wouldn't be able to wait. You'd be excited. And so you want to be patient. We focus on Jesus' return. And, Jesus, and James says, hey, focus on Jesus' return. Focus on the Lord's coming. And then right after this, this incredible picture, this call out to Christ coming back, he gives probably what is one of the most just sharpest challenges that I have seen in the last couple months in the Bible. He says this, Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Man, it's like he knew. It's like he knew me. It's like God knew that I was going to be impatient while I was supposed to be patient. He knew that we were going to start arguing about when is Jesus coming back and what's that going to look like. And he knew that we were going to start trying to divide up the church, the body of believers, with all kinds of titles and and preferences that you don't see anywhere in Scripture. It's like he knew that while we were called to patiently wait for Jesus' return, we would be so likely to lose patience with the people that we're waiting with. And I don't know if you guys feel this, but he says... The judge is standing at the door. Which means, when Jesus comes back, are we going to be like kids who have been arguing and bickering and getting nothing that our parents asked us to do done? Are we going to be faithful and obedient and inviting people in and and doing the things that he had asked us to do? How is he going to find us when he comes back? Jesus, on his last night of earth, uh, he actually prayed for all future Christians, which is incredible if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus prayed for you. In fact, if you're not here, Jesus also, or if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not here, you are here. You're here. Trust me. not getting all metaphysical in here. There's a lot of things Jesus could have prayed about, right? His last night on earth. This is one of the few things he prays for. Listen to this in John 17. I do not ask for these followers. He's talking about his disciples only. But also for all who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus wants Christians to be perfectly one, to be perfectly united. One mind, one spirit, together on the truth of his word, together on Christ. And why? Why does he want that? So that we can share in the love of God and that we can extend that love to the world around us. And I'm just speaking to Christians here, including myself. We better know the fundamental truth of what it means to be a Christian. Because if we don't, we will start arguing about every single other thing that we can imagine. And beyond that, we better have nothing that's just preference that we ever complain or grumble about. And this is really challenging, right? Because we like to grumble over our preferences. Man, I I don't like that worship style. I don't like the way that that guy preaches. I don't like the way that that church does things. I don't like the way it looks. I don't like the, the way that they cheer for sports. I don't like the way that that person dresses. I don't like how they do that. I don't like how they talk. Grumbling. Grumbling. Complaining. And Jesus says this is sin. This is in direct contrast to what he's asked of us. And we can have preferences, right? Like we can, we can have our differences of opinions. I, I have preferences of how I like to worship. If I'm, I'm just full disclosure with you guys, I prefer to worship with my local church right here at LBC, this room on Sunday mornings. That is where I love to be. It is one of my favorite times throughout the entire week. I love the way the worship sounds. I love the people in the room. I love the way we dress. I love how long it takes. I love listening to our pastor preach. That is what I prefer. But you better not catch me complaining about how other people do things. You better not catch me grumbling and arguing, thinking I'm better. This church is better. We do it better than other people. Because why? If we argue and we gossip and we complain, it makes Jesus look fake. And if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus and you've seen this in the church, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we have not been behaving the way that we should. And, and can I kind of tell you, this room gives me a lot of encouragement. Because I see a lot of people coming together from a lot of different churches encouraged and welcoming to each other. And so press in on that, though. Don't let up the gas. We can't let preferences divide us. We stand firm on the truth of God's word. He says, be patient. Stand firm. Do not grumble. Be patient. And he says to stay encouraged, read the Bible. What does he say this? He says, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. James is saying if you want to practically persevere, you need God's word. You need to practically understand what has God done throughout history. He says, look at the book of Job. Look at the Old Testament. Look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. They had it hard on this earth, they suffered, they went through challenges. But we can be reminded that God always takes care of his people. Whether it's in this life or the next life, we can know, man, God has been good and has been faithful. And so we study the Bible and we're reminded, man, this isn't just practical for me today. This is talking about God's character from eternity past to eternity present. And so we focus in on God's word and we get to know what it says. And then he says we need to be people of our word. We need to let our yes be yes and our no-no. It's very simple. If we make a commitment, we, we keep it. See, in that day, religious leaders, they taught, if you made an oath in God's name, if you said, hey, on God, I'm going to do this, then you were held to that oath. You were held to your word. But if you said, hey, on Jerusalem, or on my mother, or on my head, I'm going to do this, they said, you're actually not held to your commitment. And you can get out of it. And religious leaders actually taught that. You can bail on your commitments, because that's not actually binding. You don't actually need to honor your word. And we don't make a lot of oaths these days. We don't really swear on things as much, I don't think, in today's culture. But what we do need to do is be people of our our word. Is my yes, yes? If I say yes, I'm committed to this. Is it a yes? If I say no, I'm not going to do this. Is it a no? Are we firm in our commitment? As we patiently wait for Jesus' return, as we pursue peace and unity with each other, As we honor our oaths and our commitments and we stay in God's word, active patience leads to practical perseverance. Here's what you do if you want some applications for this, for this point number one. One, consistently remind yourself and others that Jesus is coming again soon. It's actually a command in the Bible for followers of Jesus to do this. We don't talk about it as much, but it's a command we are to encourage each other, saying, man, Jesus is coming back soon. Take heart, stand firm. Next, pursue unity, eliminate gossip and grumbling, and resolve conflict. I mean, this is for everyone in the world. It would be so much of a better world if we pursued peace. It really would. And we know that that's not going to happen perfectly until Christ's return. But especially us in the church, we should not be complaining or grumbling against each other. So if we have something against someone, we either lay it aside and just say, it's just a preference. I don't care. You're more important than me. You're more important than my opinions. Or we go and we talk it out. And we say, how can we come to unity over this? How can we agree? How can we see eye to eye? How do we listen and be patient? Next, read God's word consistently. If you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, can I ask you, please investigate to see if God's word is true. If you've never done the due diligence to figure out, why do I believe this? Or do I believe this? Or is Jesus really who he says he is? It's going to be so much better to know than to wait until He comes back or to wait until you can't make that decision anymore. So you want to figure out, is Jesus Lord or is He lunatic or is He a liar? And you need to study the Scriptures and figure out, if you don't know who to do that with, talk to someone who invited you. Talk to a block leader. They'll be wearing a lanyard. You can come talk to me afterwards. But you want to figure out, is Jesus who He says He is? I think you'll find the answer is Yes. But you want to study and do your due diligence. Finally, honor your commitments. Enough said. It's very straightforward. All right. Practical uh, perseverance requires active patience. The second key to persevering through hard times. Practical perseverance requires persistent prayer. It's a lot of Ps. I don't know why I did that to myself. James continues on in verse 13. He says, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. God is saying, hey, prayer goes with everything. right? Any situation that you can imagine yourself, pray. If you're stressed, pray. If you're happy, pray. If you're sick, pray. If you're going to bed, pray. If you're waking up, pray. If you're at work, pray. Pray, 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 pray. Pray, 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 pray. pray. That was kind of fun. There you go. And we might change how we pray in those moments. Right? I'm not talking every single moment needs to be long and drawn out and super complex and super wordy. That's not what God's saying here. But he's saying in every situation, we ought to pray. We ought to go to God. If someone's in trouble first, James says, go to God in prayer. This is cool. God wants us to trust him in times of trouble. When you're stressed at your job, God wants you to say, Lord, I'm stressed. Help me out. I don't know what I'm doing. When you feel that conflict with people around you, say, God, I need you to bring peace. God, I need your help right now. When you're not sure how you're going to stretch your next paycheck out, you're supposed to go to God and say, God, I need you to provide for me. You tell me not to worry about my future, and I want to trust you. He says, pray. Ask God, and it doesn't have to be anything fancy. I can't tell you how many times in my life, at the first sight of trouble, even if it's little, it's a little thing, I've learned to just say, God, help me. I need you right now. I need you to give me comfort. I need you to give me strength. I need to be a man of wisdom. And God loves those prayers. Those are the kind of prayers that honor God. God says He loves to be a shield and a refuge to those who are in trouble. He wants to be our fortress, He wants to be our castle that we go to. When we feel like life is pressing on on us, He says, run to God. Come to us in the hard times. Come to God in the hard times. Here's the cool thing God doesn't only want us then, but He also wants us to celebrate. He wants to celebrate with us when we're happy. I don't know if you guys feel this, but I've noticed something in my life that I'm not a fan of. There's this perceived barrier between God and I when I'm rejoicing because I have this lie that somehow has been planted in my mind that God is emotionally dull. I don't know if you guys relate to that at all or if that's just me. I'm guessing I'm probably not alone. And I have to be careful here because I don't think God experiences emotion the same way that humans do. But it is clear in the Bible that God feels very deeply. Do you know that God loves to rejoice with His children? There are, pe- or parts of the Bible that say that God sings over us. He rejoices. He celebrates. And he's saddened when there's hard times. It grieves him to see people suffering. He doesn't want anyone to perish it says it breaks his heart he's frustrated when evil is done in this world these things are hard for God but God also he celebrates he's excited and so when life is good and we're thanking God we should not imagine that God's just like hey great thanks for saying thanks no God's saying yeah I'm so happy for you you enjoy that that's awesome I'm so excited for you right now I'm so eager to bless you and have you experience my joy And life isn't always going to be easy, and it's not going to be full of uh, happy days all the time. But God wants to show us good on this earth and in the next life. And that's why we ought to sing to God, because God loves to sing over us. If you're here tonight and you're like, why did we start off with singing? Like, that was new. I don't normally see people do that. It's not just something that Christians are supposed to do. We don't just do it to fill time. We don't just do it to uh, get excited about something. We do it because we're thankful to God. We do it because when we have an emotional response, we are called to sing. We're called to praise God. And it's not just on Sundays. It's not just on Thursdays. Anytime we're happy, we should have a song in our hearts. Man, if you're driving and you're just admiring the the sunrise or the sunset and your way to work, praise God for that. And you don't have to be a good singer. The Bible does say play skillfully, instruments. Uh, instruments and sound mix are very, very important. But it's not everything. A lot of that can fall to preference, anyways. So we've got to be careful about those things. But it says just sing praises to God. Sing and celebrate songs. It's fitting that we would celebrate God. Next, James says, Is any one of you sick? He should call elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. James says, if you are physically sick, here's what you do. You call the pastors of your church, the pastor elders, however your church does it. You call them to you and they have a responsibility to come and pray for you. And then it's kind of confusing there. He's talking about oil and like anointing with oil. That can be kind of weird to look at. It's like, man, I don't really want to get oil on my forehead. I'd prefer not to break out anytime soon. I don't know if you guys have oily skin like me sometimes. And there's debate about what this oil stands for, but the Greek word that's used here is really often used in the Bible to talk about medicinal oil. So oil that was used specifically for comforting people in times of sickness. And so really how I would interpret this, and I think there's a couple different ways it could be interpreted, but as I've studied this, what I would say that this is saying is when you are physically sick, seek medical help. Like, seek medicine. God is saying there are things that He has created to help heal you physically. Seek after medical help. And then also ask your pastors to pray for you. And you do both of those in the name of the Lord. And so, whether God chooses to heal you through ways that we can't understand through science, or God chooses to heal you through the medicine that the doctors gave you, or God chooses to heal you by bringing Him home or bringing you home in heaven. We know God will heal, and we trust that in the name of the Lord, God is going to heal. And and this is actually part of my job as a pastor. Every Thursday, I go and I get to pray with people, members of the church who are sick, people who have had surgeries, people who are hurting. And can I tell you guys this? I got assigned uh, early on when I started working here to the Thursday team. I was put on the Thursday hospital visit team. And let me tell you, this stressed me out. Why? Because the block is on Thursdays. And I'm like, do they not know how important today is for me? Like, do they not know how busy I am, how I'm trying to get everything ready for tonight? I'm trying to prepare. But can I tell you guys, it is so refreshing for me as a pastor to go and put my concerns to the side and put message prep and put all the details of what needs to happen to the side and to go sit and pray with my family in Christ and to listen and say, how are you doing? what's going on? How can I pray for you? Tell me something that God's taught you recently. And more often than not, I've been incredibly blessed by those times. By going and getting to pray for people. And people are like, man, it's so kind of you to come visit. I'm like, no, thank you for inviting me into this time. Thank you for letting me be part of the body of Christ. And so, what we would say from this passage is that if you're sick, call a pastor of your church for prayer and if you don't know your pastors get to know them here at lbc and at journey bible church we have pastors who it's their sole job to organize us to do this you can call me i would love to come pray for you if you're sick if you don't want to get me sick you can call me over the phone and i'll pray for your other phone that's great call luke we would love to pray for you as pastors it's something that we are commanded to do i'm responsible to do this and then seek medical attention I cannot emphasize that enough. Seek medical attention. There's a lot of different opinions about that, but God created all of the different natural things in the world and everything that we learn from compounds and chemicals, God has created some very intelligent people who can put medicine together. And I think it's a really good thing that we at least consider pursuing that. And again, if you disagree with that, don't grumble with me. God doesn't like that. Then James says something really interesting. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. And can I tell you guys, this verse has a lot of different interpretations. I've studied this verse now, not just for tonight, but just as my time in ministry for probably dozens of hours. I don't think I'm exaggerating that. I was going back in my mind and trying to be diligent with the math. I've studied this for dozens of hours, and I'm still not entirely confident that there's just one way to interpret this or that my way is right, but I'm going to take a humble stab at it because what I'm called to do is a teacher of God's Word. So here we go. This is what I would say that this passage means. James is saying, hey, prayer is powerful to heal you physically, and then there's some component of sin or spiritual sickness So, because prayer is powerful both for the physical and the spiritual, if you are physically sick or if you are spiritually sick, if you're burdened by your sin, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. And what James is saying here is he's not saying, hey, you got to go to some elder of the church, you got to go to some church leader, you got to go to some person. And confess your sins to them so you can find salvation. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that there is something powerful that happens when believers in Jesus Christ get together and they confess their sins to each other and they pray for one another. There's something powerful that happens there. And you don't have to sit there and like laundry list out every single one of your sins. In fact, I don't think that's helpful. But if there's something on your heart that you're like, man, I'm feeling down about this. I'm feeling heavy in my soul. I feel like this is a burden that I'm, I've talked about this with God, but it's still sitting with me. You go and you find trusted friends who are followers of Jesus. And you say, would you pray for me? Would you remind me that Jesus died on the cross for my sins? Would you remind me of the truth of God's word? And you have to let God lead you when you do this. It, it, it can't be something that's forced. It can't be something that's mechanical. That's not going to work. But I can tell you this, it should be happening in our lives in some way, one way or another. Because it's in the Bible. It's something that we are commanded to do. And I'm not going to say how often that we need to do it, but here's the deal, we need to be people of humility. And so if we look at something like confessing sins to each other, and we think, no, I I don't want to do that, then it means that there's either something wrong with us or there's something wrong with our community. Because either one... I'm arrogant and I don't want to share the things that I think are going to disappoint people around me and I'm concerned over my own opinion and I'd rather carry the weight of sin rather than bring it to light and share it with people who can carry the burden with me or I don't trust the community that I'm around and I don't think they're spiritually mature enough to actually pray and both of those things we need to really check what's going on in that situation because those should be those should be warning signs there should be red lights on the dash showing something is up here and I need to figure out what it is. And so what do you do? If a friend comes to you and they confess sin to you, don't just pat him on the back and say, oh, yeah, man, it's okay. You'll be good. Oh, yeah, man, that happens to me, too. That's not what we're called to do. What we say is, let me pray for you. We pray and we say, God, just remind this person that you died on the cross for their sins, that they are dead to sin, and that they are made right. They are made righteous in Christ. And then you encourage each other, go and live the new life. Go and live the life that Jesus has already bought for you. And again, that's my humble interpretation. If you disagree, again, that's fine. But we, we don't argue about these things because this is not a main thing. This is a, a, a secondary matter. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Four kinds of prayer. They're all effective. They're all important. Here's the deal. If you want to persevere, you're going to need prayer. You're going to need prayer in good times and hard times. And you're going to need prayer from the pastors of your church. And you're going to need prayer from your community of believers around you. It says we need prayer in all of these things. And, and don't forget to pray for your pastors too. That's also a command of Scripture. Pray for your pastors. And if you doubt your ability to pray, or you feel like, man, God doesn't want to hear from me. God wouldn't be interested in listening to me, right? James actually has an encouragement for us. Check this out. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. If you're not familiar, Elijah is considered to be the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. And this guy did some incredible things. Like things that rival the miracles that Jesus did. He raised a boy from the dead. He multiplied out food in a time of famine. He called down fire from heaven. He outran this chariot. He hit a 40-day fast with no food and no water. And just like it says here, he made a drought come on the nation of Israel because there was a wicked king named Ahab that he was trying to call to repentance. And how does God's word describe this man who did all these incredible things? He says he's a man just like us. Your translation might just say he's a person with a human nature like ours. Here's the deal. Elijah was just a sinner who knew his Savior. There wasn't anything special or extra-religious or powerful or righteous about Elijah. He just had faith in God's power. It didn't come from him. He was trying to point attention to the Lord of the universe. And he knew that God had power, and he trusted that. And James is saying, for those of you who don't think God is going to listen to you, Elijah was just like you. You don't need to clean up your life. You need to accept Christ's righteousness for you. You don't need to have it all together. You need to accept that God is good. You don't need to try harder to have faith. Not just think, "Oh, God could answer this." You need to believe only God can help me in this time. Only God can rescue me right now. So, you want to go through hardship in this life? You pray. Applications for persistent prayer. One, ask God for help in hard times. Praise God with worship songs in good times. Ask pastors or elders to pray for you and seek medicine in sick times. Confess sin and ask for prayer from trusted friends in heavy times. Practical perseverance requires persistent prayer. Before we close with this final point, uh, anyone here love going to Costco? Big Costco fans. People shy about Costco. Really like to see some more Midwest love in here. Uh, I love Costco. Recently become a member. I'm very proud of that. It's probably the most exclusive club I'm a part of. That's not my joke. That's my roommate Grant's. uh, My old roommate. Sorry, Grant. (laughs) Here's the deal. When I go to Costco, I have to stick to my list. Right? Because I get in there and I see the big sign that says $1.50 hot dogs and I just lose my mind. I'm like, man, i need a hot dog right now, don't I? And then I start walking around. And I see all the samples, and I'm like, oh, that looks good. How much is that? And I act like I'm going to buy it, even though I'm not, because I feel bad taking the free sample. I don't know, Maybe that's just me. But I start walking around, and I start wandering throughout the store. And sometimes I spend like 30 or 40 extra minutes if I don't bring someone with me or if I don't stick to my list. And I end up just getting sidetracked, finding stuff I don't need. Here's the truth. If you are a follower in Jesus Christ, you are going to be tempted to be pulled in many directions. And chances are is that you're going to get sidetracked. I know I've been sidetracked more times than I'd like to admit in my, in my relationship with Christ. One of my favorite hymns since we talked about singing songs is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. If you're not familiar, that's fine. You should check it out on Spotify later. But there's a line in this song that says prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. We are prone to wander. Man, we're just not that strong. We don't hold the rope well. We don't white knuckle things very well. And that's why we have active patience and persistent prayer. But what happens if you find yourself wandering? What happens if you're in the room tonight and you're like, man, I haven't prayed in years? Man, I have not been waiting patiently. Man, I have not been active in my faith. And it might be for a week, it might be for a month, or it might be for since as long as you can remember, but you haven't been persevering and you've been wandering away from God. James' final words have some encouragement for you. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. God, do you know what this means? If you've wandered from the truth, if you've walked into sin, or you just feel like you don't care about God right now, if this does not get you excited, or if you've got a friend who's going through that right now, James says, remember this, as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we are called to help them return gently patiently with no grumbling with no complaining we bring them back as long as it takes we're called to go out and have these hard conversations say man i haven't seen you at the block recently man i haven't seen you in bible study man i haven't seen you on sunday mornings where you been i care about you i miss you man And we're called to go out and have those conversations. And when they come back, we don't treat them with any kind of disregard or shame or put them down. We say, man, welcome back. We're so glad to have you. And this word death, it's not talking about physical death and it's not talking about eternal death. It's talking about the loss of a life that is worthy of bearing Jesus' name. It's talking about when there's sin or just lack of obedience that's happened, that's going to be covered, and you're going to be saved from bringing disgrace on the name of Jesus. And we're actually going to talk about that more in coming weeks, but just know this, there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. No matter how often you've been wandering, Jesus loves when He goes out and we bring prodigal sons in. In fact, there's an entire story about it in the Bible, about how Jesus runs to those people he loves them he embraces them he says man my child that was lost has come home and that's what he wants for us final point practical persistence requires loving people It requires loving people and it requires being loving people so what do you do applications get into a community of believers who are going to lovingly call you out in your sin I am so thankful for the men in my life who look at me and they say, Nick, you are being really dumb right now. You're just causing more conflict, man. You're grumbling right now. You're kind of being arrogant. Dude, I I can see your temper. You better be careful. I'm so grateful for those men because I start to wander away or they just say, hey, Nick, tell me, how's your time with God been? I'm like, dude, honestly, not that great. And they're like, well, why not? And I'm like, I don't know. And they start asking me questions. Well, are you stressed? What's going on? Are you distracted? Hey, can I pray for you? How can we get you back in God's Word? And you want to find community that's going to call you to that standard. Out of love and gentleness and patience. And then next, humbly pay attention to each other and lovingly pull wanderers back to Jesus. We don't act like, oh man, I'm you know the Jesus police. And I'm watching everyone trying to get people in trouble say no 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 i'm just i'm looking out for my friends i'm watching is anyone wandering how can i go after them and final application this one applies to you if you're not a follower of jesus if you you are looking at this last chapter and you're realizing for the first time man i'm not right with god and it's not because i've been wandering away from god it's because i don't even know him i don't have a relationship with him i've never been interested in him being my lord I've never admitted that I'm a sinner. Here's the good news. Just like the church is called to go and save those who are wandering, the Bible says that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus Christ came for you. He came to save you. He came that when you're feeling worn down by life and by sin and you're feeling heavy and you're feeling like you can't hold on any longer. Jesus came for you. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am humble and lowly in spirit. Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you more than anyone could ever want you. And all it takes is to say, man, God, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve this, but I want to accept it. And you just tell him, God, help me. I want to follow you. And then you figure that out. And that's why this community exists, to help you figure that out in the steps ahead. But can I just tell you, if you have not made that decision, there is no better time because we do not know when Jesus is coming back. And I want you to be just as excited as I am for that day. And I want you to be caught up in the air, whatever that looks like, with the rest of us who are going to be there. Do not miss your chance to follow Christ. Practical perseverance requires active patience, It requires persistent prayer, and it requires loving people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, God, just knowing that life is hard. And sometimes, God, if I'm honest, I just feel like I'm getting kicked in the butt. And God, you know all the times in my life that I've come to you needing help, and God, needing rescue, and just being confused and being heavy-hearted. And God, we're singing to you, God, tonight, but I don't want to pretend to imagine that everyone's singing out of a heart of cheerfulness, out of a heart of joy. And God, so for the person in this room who's feeling heavy, God, would this be a place where they'd understand that you are coming to comfort them and care for them? God, that you love them and you sent your son to die on the cross for their sins. God, if there's someone in the room tonight who has a relationship with you, but they've been wandering, God, would they come back? God, no questions asked. God, no record brought up. God, everything forgiven, everything covered over, just so they would come and walk with you again. That they'd be a part of a community of people who love you. God, and and would the person in this life who is going through trials and hardship without a relationship with you, God, would would they please see that they don't have to do it alone? God, would your spirit be working on their hearts even now, even as we're praying and singing? God, that they might know that there is hope and freedom and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and it's not by trying harder, and it's not by earning prayers. God, we're not righteous by anything we do. We're righteous because you were right first, and you took our sin, and you bore it on your body, on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. By your wounds, we have been healed. So God, help us to be a community that lives us out. God, help us to be men and women who don't grumble against each other. God, who encourage each other to say, Jesus is coming back soon. God, help us to be empowered to read your word every day. God, to honor our commitments to be people of prayer. And God, to be a community where we are constantly on watch and looking out for each other. God, we need you for all these things. We can't do this with our own strength. But God, through you, I believe that we can practically persevere. So God, give us hope, give us strength, and give us joy as we sing this final song. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.